Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, crew. Did you know that you can use code PUREDOGTALK at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders to receive $20 off? <laughs> I'm saving you 20 bucks, guys, off each Embark for Breeder kit you buy. Embark for Breeders dog DNA kits bring you the genetic results you need to create a best-in-show breeding program. Identify your puppy's genetic profiles before they go to their new homes, like I did, and give new owners peace of mind and useful genetic health information. Embark, creator of the highest-rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available and easy-to-download OFA submission reports for breeders. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. And don't forget this part. Use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. And remember to use the code PUREDOGTALK. They're world-class scientists and veterinary geneticists are standing by. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And I tell you what, guys, I am so excited for this conversation. Legit. I have Denise Fenzi joining me. You are all going to know the Fenzi Dog Sport Academy. And Denise has amazing conversations that she shares with her group on social media. And she popped one up the other day and I said, oh yeah, we're going to talk about this baby. And we are talking about the differences between drive and arousal and how that impacts on our dogs particularly performance dogs, but I think across the spectrum. And some of the things that we as breeders need to be aware of and more aware of than we are. So welcome, Denise. This is going to be fabulous. Oh, this is such a great topic for me. I love this topic. So I'm just as excited to be here. So start us off. Start us off with your basic definitions. What is drive? What is arousal? What is desire? Where does anxiety come into this? All the things, all the things. All right. So in the makeup of the dog, you've got the very bottom level. Let's call that instinct. Those are things that the dog does to stay alive, right? If you have a highly predatory dog and a rabbit goes by, the dog doesn't think about what it's going to do. It goes. Okay. So that's, let's call that the very bottom basic level. And I will tell you that in my opinion, this is where drives are rooted in these hunting breeds, these working breeds, these herding. It's at this very basic level. And if you look at what the dog does, you can back it down to that level and say survival. If you couldn't hunt, you could not survive. Protection breeds. If you didn't have something in you to take care of your young and your pack, however you want to define that, 
you die. So the very bottom level is instinct. In my opinion, it is the hardest to change if you have problems. So an instinctual behavior might be chasing cars. And it's generally not rooted in fear. It could be, but it usually isn't. And fear is an emotion. We'll get to that one in a second. But this bottom level, if it moves, I go after it. And I think many of us have learned over the years that instinctually driven behaviors are very resistant to change. And this is both good and bad, because this is why your hunting dog goes out for an hour and does the thing, because it's painful, it's hot, it's tired, it's cranky, and it just keeps doing it. And maybe doesn't even know why it keeps doing it. It just does the thing. Mm -hmm. Instinctual level. One level up is the emotional level. That is where you have fear. Anxiety is linked to fear. It's irrational fear. Like you don't even know why you're afraid. You're just feeling anxious. You have happiness. You have anger. You have joy. You have caretaking for your young. So let's call that the emotional level. Arousal can come from either one of those places. The bottom level, the predatory, drive, instinctual base level, or it can come from the emotional level. When I say drive, it should be made clear. There is no formal definition of drive. If you go looking through the scientific literature, you're not going to get anywhere. So we need to accept, we need to agree that we're talking about a sport-based definition that is widely used. And I would say it comes from the human word. That person has a lot of drive. So if I say that to you, what does that mean? It means they have a thing they want or a place they want to go. And it could vary greatly. Like one person might have a lot of drive to change the world in social ways. It could be varied. It is a generic quality, but it also has focal points. If we think about dogs, it is a generic quality. Right. This was the part that I was so fascinated by, that drive has a focus. So I love that. And arousal is scattered. Movement. If you say a person is driven and I say, what do you mean? And you say, well, he runs around a lot. People would think that was very odd. That does not make any sense. But if you said that person is driven and I said, what do you mean? And you said, he's been doing his homework in his room for the last eight hours because he wants to get a good score. That is tied to an outcome. Right. So if a dog has drive, if you really want to be accurate, you should say for what? For ball, for bird, for tracking, because there's no generic. Now, having said that, there is a little bit like I have noticed that across the board, across breeds, food drive tends to be higher in dogs that are working drive dogs. Doesn't matter what they do. So if I work with a working line golden retriever or I work with a pointer or I work with a border collie, they're probably all going to have interest in chase and playing tug. There's a very good chance they're all going to have interest in food. And there's a very good chance they're all going to have a lot of focus because Focus sort of ties it all together. If you have drive for a thing, then you have to have focus or you just went out of drive. Now you're looking at something else. Now, arousal gets complicated because arousal can look like drive. A dog can be an arousal and have no drive whatsoever. And so can a person. So if you have ADHD and you have the kind that causes you to be unable to get your work done because you can't focus on anything... You don't call that drive. We actually say, well, there are some great qualities that come from that, but there are some issues. You can't get your work done. But here's a really interesting thing. We got to channel it. Yes. But ADHD has this thing associated with it called hyperfocus. I have ADHD and I have hyperfocus. 
What that means is I have a terrible time focusing. I mean, I am all over the map unless I care. If I care about something, watch me. I mean, honest to God, 18 hours later, I am still on it. And I think a lot of our dogs that have drive have a version of ADHD and hyperfocus. And if they have that, that ADHD side, that's arousal with nowhere to go. I don't even know why I'm up. I'm just up. That's arousal. I used to say, if you think arousal is drive, then show me a three-year-old boy who needs a nap, who's screaming and running through your house, sit him down and work on his alphabet. Good luck with that. Because what you have is arousal. You have a child who's flooded with hormones, who will not stop moving, who's out of control. But nobody says, oh my goodness, look at all that drive. Let's sit him down and educate him. Like That's illogical. And yet with dogs, I see this all the time. I see somebody bring a dog into a training building, you know, eight, nine month old, field line golden. It's bouncing off so scattered and all over the place, it can't breathe. And people go, oh my God, look at all that drive. Now we just have to channel it. And my response is, well, good luck with that. You are not going to channel that any more than you're going to channel that three-year-old unless the dog has both. And it's not unusual for them to inherit together. So now what you have is a ballistic dog binging all over the training center and a really good handler who spends a few months teaching the dog because the dog does have drive, teaching the dog to function in that environment. And then what people say is, oh, you channeled that arousal. But no, they didn't. What they did is in spite of the arousal, they got the dog trained, but they didn't know the difference because they do tend to inherit together. So those high drive dogs often are high arousal, but boy, are they problematic because when you lose them, when you lose that constant management, constant control, constant sitting on them, they bust out in random directions and they do bad things. I don't mean aggressively bad. Like my friend has a golden who I would say has a problem with arousal. The dog does not have aggression, does not have anxiety, but does have arousal. It has been a nightmare full-time project since she got that dog to control it, to manage it, has crate issues, got every issue, takes the dog to agility and it's brilliant until it's not. And when it's not, what it does is goes running around, grabbing everybody's stuff and sort of zooming hysterically, going through their bags, throwing their stuff and everybody's angry. And the more angry everybody gets, the more the dog's ears get pinned. Now we're seeing anxiety because now the dog knows it's in trouble, but it can't even stop because the arousal is so high, it can't control itself and you've got a mess. Right. So having made this mistake myself, I do not blame a human being on the planet. You and I talked about this off air. This is why it's so important to me to hear this and for other people to hear this, because I think we've all made this mistake. And it was literally life changing to see in my mind, to see your comment on social media. I was like, oh, my God, like, seriously? Wow. Okay. So let's drill down into this. So what I did, I'll tell you really quickly. I went and I bought a puppy who was pretty hysterical. On the plus side, she did have high drive, but she had arousal. Okay, so for example, I did not see her stop moving in my house till she was nine months old. I don't mean sleeping. I mean not moving and panting and whining, (laughs) squeaking all the time. She was a working machine. She needed somewhere to attach the arousal because she had nowhere to go with it. So if I gave her work, she was very happy because now her arousal had a place to go. But if she didn't, the problem was then it became anxious. Because if you have high inside, if you're in turmoil and you don't know why, that starts to become a real problem for you. And I, 
you know, she probably literally would have worked three, four, five hours a day. And for hunting dogs, I could see how if a dog's living in a kennel or living in a crate and you take it out and it's in the state of perpetual up and it's a hunting machine, I could see why breeders would say, oh, my God, look at all that drive. This is amazing. Without recognizing that, yes, there is drive there, that underlying first bottom layer exists and is powerful. But all of this extra noise is really mental illness. I mean, it's actually at the end of the day, when a dog can't stop moving and there's nothing happening, the dog has been properly exercised. And I know for your breed, that's a lot, but I just mean the dog has been out all day hunting. Mental exercise is part of it. Yeah, but they've been working. Yeah. I think something that we really need to remember, I think with any of our breeds is that running around exercise isn't nearly as exhausting as thinking exercise. That is true. And actually, that's interesting because there's also some conversation about whether or not high arousal dogs actually get worse with physical exercise. Oh, God, yes. Feeding it. Yes. Yeah, of course, they still need their exercise, but then you really need to do the brain work. But when a dog has a very nice, healthy, it goes out hunting all day, uses its brain, it should come home and rest. And when it can't, it can't rest. There's something wrong. And it's sad, actually, because it's uncomfortable for the animal to be stuck. And you see it. I see it across many of the performance venues, types of breeds, from Border Collie to Wirehair to Malinois Absolutely. to Australian Shepherd to, you know, all the way around. Yeah. And exactly. not only that, when I talk to people, like there's one lady I'm talking to as a working cocker, the qualities that seem to inherit as a package, not all, I'm just going to give you a representative. They have issues being confined. They don't crate well. They whine and they spin in their crate. They have constant issues with movement. They stimulation seek. So what I mean is they bother other dogs in the house. They're like a little brother pestering all the time. They get on you and they won't get off. So you sit in a chair and it's not that they like being near you. They want to be inside of you. They're like literally on top of you. Like, oh, how sweet for the first hour. But eventually it's like, could you just like lay down on the floor? They can't. They tend to have the squeaking, you know, the ha, 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 squeaking, panting, whining. Yes. OCD behaviors. The dogs, the yes. tail chasing, light chasing. Kennel bouncing. Have you seen them? I've never heard that, but oh yeah, in my breed, they spin. Oh God, yeah. Certain ones of these dogs, you put them in a kennel run, big kennel run, you know, 12 by 12 kennel run. They will bounce back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, yep. literally all day long. I can totally see it. I can visualize it. Chasing light is another one. So you get these dogs, nobody's going to have everything. But when I start talking to people, they think I'm a mind reader because they tell me two things and I go, oh, does your dog? And you can just start filling in blanks. And they're like, how did you know? Because it seems that these things can inherit as a package with a pretty solid dose of OCD in there and drive. And unfortunately, some of them also get a pretty good dose of aggression. And now you have dogs who are from breeds that are not normally aggressive. Like you don't normally think of the sporting and the hunting breeds as having aggression, but you know what? Some of them get so twisted in their heads, you start seeing their attack, their handlers, and it can be very random. And, you know, because I've been through my own stuff in the not too distant past. Yes. I am getting so many, I mean, just really floods of emails from people who are struggling so badly in their homes with their dogs. It's actually painful how hard some people's lives are. And they're dealing with dogs that bite them. And many of these dogs seem to have these packages, these working breeds. And then everybody says, well, let's just drive. You just have to learn how to channel. And not only is that very traumatic to the owner, 
They're being told that it's their fault. It's not their fault. The dog came with these things. But worse, the breeders, if they don't understand, in my opinion, are perpetuating the problem. And I fully admit I was one of them because I made the same mistake. Fortunately, some part of my brain was engaged enough to recognize that I needed to breed her to a, I called it less driven male. That now was a misnomer. So I can look now and see the difference. What I did is I bred that first dog to a dog who had plenty of drive to work, but a very calm temperament. So I tend to think of calm as being sort of the opposite of arousal, just a dog who can take in the world without having all that up, up, up coming inside of them. Because arousal just means awareness, awakeness, but lots of drive. So I bred him to this bitch. She was a little over the top. Admittedly, the puppies were pretty high, but they weren't like her. I didn't feel like there was anxiety in there. I just felt like there was a lot of happy, peppy, bouncy. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've had quite a few dogs. I had two dogs at the same time, two females that I was breeding. One of them was way up there in both arousal and drive, but I wouldn't call it pathological. The other was very low in arousal, very high in drive. And when people were interested in puppies, I would say, come meet my girls, because one of them is going to be your kind of dog. And it never failed. The people just walk in and say, oh my God, that is the cutest thing I've ever seen. I want that. Or that dog would make me wacko. I want that. Right. And both dogs were exceptionally successful workers, very, very good dogs, but their temperament, the way they went through life, the quickness to spark, like the one dog I come in the house, barely got off her dog bed. She was super calm, super mellow, but she was a working machine. She just didn't waste energy. Mm -hmm. The other dog, her idea, I used to have a bike and I would attach the dog to the bike. And the one dog, this was her nirvana. She could go 10 miles, she would go away. You could almost watch her little head. She'd go into this trot. She was beautiful. Loved to do this. The other dog, I tried doing this. We get two blocks. She'd be like, I'm not doing this. This is stupid. Like moving for the sake of moving made no sense to her at all. And it's like, if we're going to go for a walk, I'm going to sniff. I'm going to do things or we're going to work, but I'm not just going to go running next to your bicycle. And this was not a fight I wanted to have. So we did not have that fight that I can look back and see that what I had was two high drive dogs, one high arousal dog, one low arousal dog. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion cares passionately about pets and makes sure their policy has what it takes to serve you and your furry companions. In fact, they are the first pet insurance provider to cover certain health conditions associated with breeding animals through their specialized breeding rider. Their industry-leading coverage does not stop there. Trupanion's free breeder support program also allows you to send your litters home protected with an offer for a Trupanion policy. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. So let's talk about this more from the breeding perspective. You know, setting aside, we can talk about the training and management perspective for a minute, but from the breeding perspective, this is what fascinates me. Because many of us, I think, as you said, have confused drive and arousal. A number of years ago, I bred to a very famous top winning national field champion, field trial dog, because I wanted more power, 
right? Like I wanted my dogs to have more punch when they ran. I wanted them out there, but the dogs I got from that were very chill. I mean, like you say, low arousal, they were very chill, but I got more of the power. And so now my question is, as I'm breeding down from that original cross, am I getting some more of the arousal to go with the, you know, so this is what I'm kind of looking at with questions in my mind as we're talking through this. I'm thinking, uh interesting. I do believe that anxiety is often the driver of arousal and anxiety is a fear-based behavior. So in my breed and protection, I think the truly powerful and strong dogs are often the low arousal dogs because they have no fear driving their behavior. And the dogs who have a lot of flash and a lot of arousal are actually weaker dogs. The word you're using is power. I would call it hardness. I would say that what you're seeing, what sparks that desire to whatever, for you hunt, for me bite. And I have a puppy here now, very low arousal dog. And I assume the drive is in him. I don't know. So the problem with low arousal dogs is they're hard to pick at eight weeks. So you're looking at your babies. How do you figure out who has the drive? Well, I contacted the owner of the sire. He's a Dutch dog, a very good dog in a very hard program. And I watched his videos and he's power up the wazoo. He's a lovely dog. And I asked her about him and she said, Denise, he wouldn't even engage with a helper till he was six months old. He didn't care. He didn't want to do it. He didn't care about it. But she said he was so sure of himself, so confident in himself. I felt it was in there. And his dad had a similar quality. And so I'm a pretty big believer in genetics. I put a lot of money on pedigrees and parents. If you gave me a choice between any puppy in a litter and I didn't know the parents of pedigree or no choice, but I knew the parents, for me, it's not even a contest. Not even a contest. Absolutely. I am genetics right down the line. So just give me anything from the litter that had two great parents. Yep. And so I listened to her tell me that. I looked at the bitch. Bitch is a higher arousal French ring dog. And you've got this hard sire. And she says, and by the way, Denise, he's the calmest dog on the planet. Like always, unless he's working. He's calm. But she said when he works, he's the most sure, confident, powerful dog. And she also mentioned he's also quite independent because I think that might be a player in there too. I think independence is a huge piece of it. Looking back along all of my dogs in all of the different venues, Definitely, I think that independent dog, the dog that isn't as needy, the not Velcro dog. It's the opposite of needy. Like, yes. why is the puppy sitting on you all the time? It could just be a snuggly little dog, but it could be a pathological inability to stand on their own feet. Mm-hmm. And so I don't own this puppy that's here. I'm fostering him just because I want to have some fun with a baby, but he is here. And so I'm developing him to the best of my ability for whatever his future holds. And I got to tell you, I'm really liking playing with this because Mm -hmm. he's easy. He doesn't bite very much. For my breed, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Unless he's tired and cranky. He crates easily. He doesn't have a lot of issues. He really reads dog behavior well. So my other dogs. And when I take him somewhere new, he doesn't just zoom out of the crate and go running around. He sits. And he'll sit for half an hour. If he doesn't feel like moving, you're not moving him. Think about it. He thinks. And when people talk about a thinking puppy... He sits and he watches. And then one day, these two border collies, it's kind of like your worst nightmare, came over the hill, no owner in sight, flying down at him. And he just stood there. And he was 12 weeks old, came all the way to him, stopped, and then ran away. And he never moved. He just stood there. He didn't chase them when they left. He showed no negative reaction. And I looked at that and I thought, 
That is an impressive reaction. I mean, I don't expect an adult dog to handle that kind of an onslaught that well. And that really made me think about this clear-headed, low arousal. He wakes up, but only for a reason. So I took him to fly ball. He's got plenty of prey. I just don't know because I never had anybody restrain him. I had somebody restrain him. I ran around with a toy and he did exactly what I want to see, which is let me go. Right. And what was interesting is when he got to me and played, then I turned him around and he had the same reaction going back to the other person. So he didn't need his mommy. This wasn't about, oh my God, don't leave me. Ding, ding, ding. Didn't need mommy. No, he wanted his toy. He wanted his object. He thought this was the best game on the planet. So, you know, you look at these dogs and then you look back on your history of breeding dogs and you start making these connections. Mm-hmm. And a while ago, I figured out drive has to have a focal point. So I've actually found that very helpful when I talk to people. If a dog is moving without purpose, it's arousal. If it has a focal point, it's drive. And it can be both for sure. Because how could you have drive if you don't have arousal? If the dog wants the thing and doesn't wake up enough to go get it, then it's not drive. Right. It's focus. Yes. This is really fascinating. I am really cut back on what I'm doing, actually personally breeding, but I had a couple litters out of different bitches that I had bred, that other people bred them down and on my suggestion and, you know, like that mentoring. And there was a particular litter and I was helping the breeder decide which one of these bitches she wanted to keep. And there was in this litter, this one little bitch that if I had wanted a field trial dog before this conversation, I've gone and picked that dog. She was all zoom everywhere, checking everything out, doing stuff. And she was purposely doing, she'd jump on the teeter totter and she'd go check out the entire fence line. And I loved that about her. And there was the bitch that I encouraged her to keep because the other bitch wasn't as structurally as good, but she was very much the thinker, very much the thinker. And yet when you turned her loose and planted a bird for her or whatever, she was like, right? Exactly. So this is changing the way I think because so much, and I'd be curious your experience on this. For me, a working dog and a show dog need the same confidence. Yeah. They need the same sense of self, a really good show dog and a really good working dog of whatever breed need that same confidence and sense of self. And so I have always selected for that puppy that has that sense of self. Yeah. Now you're making me think more about this independence thing too, right? I'm going to have to spend some energy stewing on this because I had an experience the other day with this puppy and he is independent. He takes his ball and he just goes a hundred yards away and watches me. I mean, I'll get it worked out, but he has his own ideas, but I did see something He was passing the car and I wanted to get in my car. My property's fast. This is safe. And I opened my hatch and he was heading out to the front yard. And I said, "Uh uh-uh, not that way. And it was really interesting because he turned immediately and came back and I didn't expect that. And that moment when I watched it, I realized I need to be careful to separate out biddability from independence. These are not at cross purposes. Right. And if I had not seen that, and you know what, sometimes isn't it weird? I'm sure I've seen things like this hundreds of times, but on this occasion, it just struck me. We need to be clear. Bitability is willingness to cooperate with a person. Correct. 
But independence is, as my husband said, committed to his own thoughts, right? He has things he wants to do. But that doesn't mean that he can't be both. Independent is standing on your own two, four feet. Right. And I just thought that was so interesting that when I expressed an opinion, he almost, almost like a puppet turned back. And I was like, that is nice. That was a nice reaction. I'm not saying it's going to be like that. But it was nice to see that in a clear-headed moment, when there was no real conflict, he was very able and willing mm-hmm. to go with my version of, of events yeah, <laughs> right. Right. on this occasion. All right, Cruz, thank you all for joining us. This has been part one of our episode. Watch this space. Part two will be coming up soon. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. One of my favorite events over the last year or so has been the virtual After Dark for patrons of the podcast. Anybody can join this amazing community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking the Become a Patron link on the homepage. While you're there zooming around on the site, you can check out our shopping tab, too. There's even a Pure Dog Talk swag link. Share the love with all our cool gear. Check it all out at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.